dropping on my face. It's a man, it's a man, watch that. It's a man, it's a man, watch that. It's a man, it's a man, watch that. Hey there, and welcome to the Matt Watch That podcast. I'm your host, Matt Sarosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to review a movie or TV pilot that I probably should have seen but never got around to. It could be a recent favorite, critic's choice, or cult classic. Everyone can join in on the fun. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or suggestions as to what I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Before we start, if I sound a little different on this episode, it's because I'm having a midlife crisis. And I decided to get Invisalign because there was a small gap between my bottom teeth, a little off to the side. It wasn't significant. We're not talking about Madonna or Michael Strahan. It never really bothered me because I'm not looking at myself. I avoid mirrors like a vampire, and I don't have enough of an ego to take selfies. But working remotely and connecting with friends, I've had to appear on camera, so you can't get around seeing your own face. And I'm a bottom talker, meaning my bottom teeth are more visible when I talk, so Mr. Gap looked like the Grand Canyon to me. I decided, you know, if I'm lucky, I'm gonna live another 40 years, so why not fix it so when I look in the mirror, I don't go, ugh. So, so, I've been doing the little things that make me happy. Buying brightly colored shirts, quirky shoes, a couple more sit-ups a day. I'm on the self-improvement kick, and it's about time. One day we will be open for business again, which means people will have to look at me, so why not put my best foot forward? But I have to let you in on a little industry secret. I don't record the whole podcast at once. As ideas come to me, I write down some notes, turn on the mic, and do it in the moment. So the playback and recommendation sections were recorded months in advance because they were originally going to go in an earlier episode, but I decided to switch things up. I know what people are thinking, though. Why not take them out? Well, I'm supposed to wear them for 22 hours a day, and if I have to remove them, I'd rather be eating a black and white cookie versus speaking on the mic. And let's be honest, I've never had perfect diction on this thing, but if I sound more like a slurry, slurpy mess, that's the reason. Alright, on to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking out of 5 stars. 1 star is skip it, 2 stars watch at your own risk, 3 stars standard fare, 4 stars worth checking out, and 5 stars must see. Now if I give a title 5 stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca or Jaws or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or TV series in that genre and at that time period. So let's jump into it. I'll keep the spoilers to a minimum, tangents to a maximum. These are my ruminations and observations of the movie. Point Break, from 1991. That term refers to where the waves hit a point of land, or where the shoreline extending into the sea creates a headland. Thanks to LearnToSurfKona.com for that definition. It was directed by Catherine Bigelow, who would go on to helm K-19, The Widowmaker, Zero Dark Thirty, Detroit, and she was the first woman to receive the Best Director Academy Award for The Hurt Locker. The screenplay was written by W. Peter Eiliff, who scribed Patriot Games, Varsity Blues, and Under Suspicion. It was based on a story by W. Peter Eiliff and Rick King. Here's a quote without context. Last time you had a feeling, I had to kill a guy. And I hate that. It looks bad on my report. 
So we meet Johnny Utah, a rookie special agent trained at Quantico, who gets transferred to the Los Angeles office. He's shown the lay of the land by the FBI director, Ben Harp, who's no-nonsense and by the book. He introduces Utah to his partner, Angelo Pappas, a grizzled veteran who's not thrilled to be saddled with the newcomer. Keanu Reeves portrays the young and eager Johnny Utah, balancing a go-get-em ambition with a reserved demeanor. He's been in Speed, The Matrix, and John Wick. Gary Busey plays his partner, Angelo Pappas, who's had 22 years in the field. He appeared in Lethal Weapon, Under Siege, and the Buddy Holly story. They have a combative relationship at first. Pappas is initially annoyed by Utah's persistence, but that attitude gives him a bit of a spark. He's no longer going through the motions with the job. They also found commonality in their dislike of their boss, Ben Harp, acted by John C. McKinley from Scrubs, Highlander 2, Electric Boogaloo, and Platoon. A group of thieves called the Ex-Presidents robs a bank wearing masks of Reagan, Carter, Johnson, and Nixon. They've hit 27 banks in three years and complete the task in 90 seconds or less. Utah and Pappas investigate the drop car from the heist for any clues. Angelo discloses his theory that the ex-presidents are surfers, an idea that had been laughed at by others in the office. And if you're a viewer, you're kind of like, whoa, that's a, that's a twist. He points to the evidence, including the perpetrator's tan lines, soil samples, and the presence of carnauba wax used for traction on boards. In reviewing the cases, they figure out that the robbers only hit banks in the area from June to October during surf season. They have one month left before the ex-presidents leave and hit another city with bodacious waves. Papas convinces Utah to go undercover to infiltrate the surfing community. But there's one problem. He doesn't know how to surf. When he gets hit by a gnarly wave, he's assisted to shore by Tyler. She's attractive, but has an edge. She's portrayed by Lori Petty from A League of Their Own, the cult classic Tank Girl, and the family-friendly Free Willy. Johnny sees her as a way into the surfing community. He gets her license plate number and looks her up in the system. He finds out that her parents are deceased and uses that information to earn her trust. He goes to her place of employment and asks her to teach him how to surf. At one of their lessons, we get our first look at Bodhi, who's hanging 10. They were an item at one point, but his search for the extreme was too much for Tyler. He's played by Patrick Swayze, who's known for Dirty Dancing, Roadhouse, and Ghost. Introductions are made, and Bodhi invites Johnny to hang out with them, which leads to a football game on the beach. Now for a little trivial trivia. The football game was filmed at Leo Carrillo State Beach in Malibu, which was also the location of the bonfire and soccer scrimmage in The Karate Kid. Bodhi is impressed with Utah's football skills and recognizes him from television. He played for the Ohio State Buckeyes, all-conference, number nine, defeated SC at the Rose Bowl three years ago. This is my odd movie observation. Isn't it a bad idea for someone to go undercover who's been on TV? Tough to be an undercover cop when you've been on the most televised college football game. The ex-presidents have robbed two more banks, and a hair sample was retrieved at the last crime scene, which contains certain traces of toxins. Pappas and Utah go around to the beaches and collect hair samples from the surfers to pinpoint where the ex-presidents hang out. Yeah, that's kind of a stretch. At one beach, Johnny ticks off some of the locals and gets his keister handed to him. He believes that this group might be responsible for the bank robberies and decide to tail them. But are Pappas and Utah catching the right wave, or will this lead to a wipeout? Point Break is a curious movie to me. I felt like it couldn't decide if it wanted to be a serious police procedural, extreme sports documentary, or spiritual retreat. It has more personalities than Sybil. 
But that's better than being boring and having no personality, right? I like the opening sequence because it bounced back and forth between slow-motion beauty shots of surfing with fast-cutting police target practice training. The action sequences were filmed well. Surfing, skydiving, fight scenes felt raw and unpolished, the car chase scenes were strong. As I said about Smokey and the Bandit, they didn't feel scripted or overly choreographed, looked like it was developing in front of us. I enjoyed the rapport between Gary Busey and Keanu Reeves, one of the best roles for both of them in terms of performance. Seemed like they were really having fun. Their relationship felt somewhere between, like, Lethal Weapon and 48 Hours. In fact, the police storyline was my favorite part of the movie. There were some elements of the script that were fairly predictable, but enough surprises to make me think, oh, I didn't know that's where they were going to go. Like, they didn't conclude storylines the way I thought they might. The fact that the robbers are a group of surfers feels like it was pulled out of a hat, but it puts a little spin on it. I mean, it's an original idea. The revelation as to how Utah figured out who the bank robbers were was a little eye-roll inducing, but kind of funny at the same time. And that brings me back to my initial thought. There are elements of this movie that wants to be a popcorn flick, but takes itself way too seriously. It could be a great action movie if that were the main focus. But there was a spiritual element to it and all the surfing. It's a little mishmash, but sort of works. This is something to look out for. There are appearances by Tom Sizemore from Saving Private Ryan as an FBI agent, Anthony Kiedis, lead singer of the Red Hot Chili Peppers, as a surfer, and Christopher Pettit of Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead fame as teen in a surf shop. The cinematography was captured by Donald Peterman, whose filmography includes When a Stranger Calls, Cocoon, Men in Black, and was nominated for two Academy Awards for Flashdance and Star Trek IV The Voyage Home. It was edited by Howard E. Smith, who's known for The Abyss, Glengarry Glen Ross, and Dante's Peak. The score was composed by Mark Isham, who wrote the music for Little Man Tate, Quiz Show, Crash, and was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Music, Original Score for A River Runs Through It, and won a Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Main Title Theme Music for Easy Streets. Yeah, I never heard of it either. The soundtrack features songs by Rat, Jimmy Buffett, Ice-T, Sheryl Crow, and two bands I've seen in concert, Concrete Blonde and L.A. Guns. Both excellent. The runtime is two hours, two minutes. There were a few too many extreme montages and beauty shots for my taste. It could have easily been cut down to 155. I wouldn't say that it dragged, but there were a few places that could have been sped up. Yes, movie length is my biggest pet peeve if you haven't learned, but I feel it's justified when I point it out. It had a budget of $24 million and grossed $83.5 million at the box office. Ultimately, the movie comes down to Blue Flame Special, Solid Professionals, Quarterback Jock, Surf's Up Ace, Cold Pizza, Stealth Mission, Goosebumps, Squid Brain, 100% Pure Adrenaline, and Meat Waffles. I give it 3.5 out of 5 stars. If you've seen Point Break and have opinions on the movie, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattWatchThat. Moving right along. Each episode, I'm going to post clips that I think people should watch. It could be movie trailers, music videos, interviews, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there will be a playlist called Matt Watch That Playback. I was a film major in college and exposed to many movies I wouldn't normally choose to watch. I took a silent film class at 8 in the morning. Now, I'm a morning person, but that was pushing it. 
and the professor turned down the volume so we couldn't even hear the crappy jangle piano music accompanying it. In each generation, there are films that don't translate well to the next. Things that were groundbreaking in the late 1800s and early 1920s seem passé by today's standards. But while they may not be as entertaining as a comic book movie, it's important to have a frame of reference and appreciate these filmmakers and their usage of camera trickery to wow the audience. They didn't have the luxury of CGI to fix it in post. They needed to capture these stunts and special effects practically with the use of forced perspective, overlays, matte shots, and colored filters. These filmmakers laid the foundation for other directors, visual effects artists, and stunt coordinators to build upon. King Kong, The Thief of Baghdad, Forbidden Planet, Jason and the Argonauts, 2001 A Space Odyssey, Star Wars, Tron, The Abyss, Jurassic Park, The Matrix, and so on. I think in the past few years, there has been too much reliance on CGI in movies, I believe the visual effects should mesh with the scenes to enhance the films. They should be the steak sauce, not the steak. There's something about the ability to see and feel the set that can't be replicated with computers. As an actor, it's more awe-inspiring to walk onto a set beautifully crafted by carpenters than walking into a room painted green. The movie industry would benefit from taking a step back and appreciating the artistry and innovation of silent films. I've posted a video entitled, How Silent Movie Special Effects Were Done, on the Matt Watch That Playback playlist. Check it out. Now it's time for the recommendation. Yes, that's the word recommendation, with Matt in the middle. I'm going to end each podcast with my own recommendation of a movie or TV series. Today I'm talking about Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Not much needs to be explained. It's pretty much all in the title. Now, I've never been afraid of clowns, and none of these brightly colored hooligans will strike fear into your heart, but I don't think it's meant to. The movie works better on the level of being a campy comedy. Many of the actors are unknown, but it does include Royal Dano, who had a long career and somewhat legitimized the movie with his appearance. It also includes the first role for stand-up comedian Christopher Titus, so keep on the lookout. The film uses practical effects, which, as you can tell, is my preference. The main theme was performed by punk band The Dickies and is catchy as hell. I think the Kyoto brothers who wrote and directed had intimately studied clowns because they include all the tricks in their act. My favorite scene is when Spikey the Clown was on the hunt for two teenagers, so naturally he created a balloon animal dog to track them down. There has been a highly anticipated sequel in development hell for a few years. The rights are now with the Sci-Fi Channel, and I hope they're able to franchise it. I would look forward to a Killer Clowns TV movie released annually around Halloween. See why the movie has garnered a cult following? Killer Clowns from Outer Space is currently streaming on Netflix, YouTube, Roku, and Tubi. The Blu-ray is available on Amazon and packed with special features. That's all for this edition of Matt Watch That. Thanks for listening to me lisp. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've reviewed or suggestions as to what movie or TV pilot I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. I plan on having interactive elements, so follow, subscribe, and like for all the latest news, updates, and polls. Until next time, adios, amigo.
and Christopher Pettit of Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead fame as a teen in a sheriff shop. In a sheriff shop. <laughs> I almost sound like the beaver from Lady and the Tramp. It's swell! Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. Oh, that was very drooly. <laughs> It was directed by Catherine Bigelow, who would go on to helm K-19, The Widowmaker, Zero Dark Thirty, and Christopher Pettit of Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead fame as a teen in a sheriff shop. And oh shit, whoopsie, I did it again.